Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to begin a new series and I, I'm super creative, like I am like off the charts creative. I am one of, if not the most creative people that you will ever meet in your entire life. And so um, I came up with this super creative title to this sermon series. It's called, I need Josh, I need JJ up here for a drum roll, like a drum roll. The Armor of God. Like how creative is that? I know you've never heard that title. You've probably never heard those three words put together in that way before. Um, but if you've been to church any amount of time, then you're like, yeah, pastor, I've heard this sermon series like 10 times. Um, yeah, I'm not really all that creative. This was the best I could come up with. So just bear with me. But the, the revelation will be better than the title, I promise you. Um, I want to start this morning with a story that I heard on the radio actually this week. And it was telling the story of this lady who she is about to take a flight. She's in the airport, and uh, she goes and she buys some fries, you know, just a little snack. She buys some French fries, and, and she sits down, gets her stuff together, and then she realizes, oh, she got to throw something away. So you know how you do. You, you leave your stuff right there. You already got your seat. You just go like 15 feet over, even though they tell you don't leave your bags unattended. You just run over real quick. She throws it away. She comes back. When she comes back, she sees her fries sitting on um, the, the, little, the little head or little armrest in between the two seats. Well, there's this big guy sitting next to her, and he sat down there. And so she sits down, and she's getting her stuff together, and she looks over, and this guy takes one of her French fries and eats it. Now, she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's a, a smaller woman. This is a big guy. She's like, I'm not going to confront him. You know, I, I, I'm just, but I'm going to let him know. So she kind of looks at him and takes one of her fries and eats it. Like, hey, these are my fries. Thinking that, okay, this is, this is done. This is over with. That's kind of ridiculous. Um, some of y'all are already grossed out because somebody touched your food. I, I got that. And she's like, okay, this is done, you know. And, and, then, and then he reaches over and takes another fry. And she is like, what? And so she reaches over and takes another fry. And then he reaches over and takes a fry. And they go back and forth until there's one French fry left. And she's sitting there like, surely he is not going to eat my last French fry. Now, she's better than me because I don't care how big he is. At some point, you mess with my French fries, I'm going to say something. And this joker reaches over takes the last french fry and eats it. And she's sitting there like, I cannot believe this guy. What a horrible person. Who eats somebody else's french fries? So they begin to board the plane, and she gets on the plane, and you know how you get on the plane, and you start to, to settle in, and, and she goes into her bag, probably to get her earphones or something, and, and she opens her bag up, and there's her bag of french fries. So in actuality, she was eating his french fries, but she thought he was eating her french fries. Oh. But you know, it, it reminded me that sometimes the way that we see things isn't the way that they actually are. Sometimes our perspective is wrong. 
Sometimes we think those are our French fries and we can't believe somebody else is eating them, but actuality, it was their French fries and we're eating them. Are you guys in Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 10. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and, and many theologians and commentaries say that this is his masterpiece. You know, he wrote so much of the New Testament, but the book of Ephesians is his masterpiece. And when you go and you look at these first five chapters, and even beginning here and, and up through verse 10, you realize, like, this is amazing. This is powerful. This is truth. This is gospel. This is change your life writing. I mean, this is truly a masterpiece. And so in verse 10, he's saying, finally, he's summing all this up. He's saying, okay, I've gotten to the end of this. And, and you know, when you get to the end, you want to make sure that everybody gets whatever it is you were trying to talk about. I know when I'm preaching, one of the things I have to remind myself is, is what we call land the plane. So when I'm done, be done. Like, you know, the plan lane lands instead of, you know, when you're about to land, you're at the airport and the plane starts circling. It's like, just land the plane. I know, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Y'all have heard my sermons where you're like, pastor, just land the plane. You've said that five times. Be quiet and let's pray. Let's get out of here. The Falcons are coming on. They're already on. Let's go. Just land the plane. Here, Paul is landing the plane. He's saying, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice he doesn't say, finally, try your very best to be strong in the Lord. Do everything that you can to be strong. Give it your best shot. Give it 110%, which I still don't understand how that's possible. I really don't. Somebody needs to explain that to me. I grew up playing sports, and they get 110%, and I'm like, but... If it's, a hun- like, 100 is, uh, if 100%, like, I don't, that's, that's it. I don't, y- 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 I lost y'all. Okay. Let's go back to scripture, Pastor. Land the plane, Pastor. 100%. I don't, not, not try. Don't, don't give it your all, but actually do it. Don't give it your best shot. Don't, don't make any room for excuses of why you can't do this because Paul's telling you to do it. And if, and if Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is telling you to do it, then you can do it. You may not be able to do it in your own strength. That's why he says, don't do it in your strength. Do it in God's strength. Because there's a lot of stuff God tells us to do and asks us to do that we cannot do in our own strength. But there is nothing God will invite you into, tell you to do, command you, or ask you to do that he hasn't given you the strength to accomplish it. The difference is, are you trying to do it on your own, or are you uh, willing to connect with God and allow his strength to be your strength, allow his wisdom to be your wisdom, allow him to be the one that leads you and guides you into that. And if you are new to this, or maybe you're not yet a believer and you're kind of you're kind of evaluating all this, or maybe you've been a believer and you've gotten away from God, many times what happens in church is we present only one aspect of Jesus. And, and the problem with this is, yes, Jesus is loving and he's compassionate and he's forgiving. And, man, he wants us to turn the other cheek and he wants us to be nice. But, but there's also another side to Jesus. And there's also a side where Jesus walked through the crowd that was trying to kill him. There's also a side where Jesus turned over the money tables. There's also a side of Jesus that is a warrior, to be able to have the toughness to take the mocking, the beating, the, the, the nails through the hands and the feet to die on that cross when he didn't have to. 
and had the power to get out of it at any moment. See, see, there's a strength and there's a toughness, not only in Jesus, but in following Christ that you are going to have to develop. You cannot be soft and follow Jesus very long. It takes a level of toughness, a level of stick to a level of perseverance, a level of strength. But what happens is our strength is just enough to get you beat. It's just enough to lose. Our courage is just enough to get you in the fire and get you burned up. So what do we do? We stop tapping into our own strength and we begin tapping in to God's strength. And Paul here is saying, I'm landing this plane. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength, not of your might, but of his might. And then he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Not some of the armor, but put on the whole armor, all of the armor. Every piece is vital. Every piece is important to protect you and to help you prevail. You can't just put on some. You can't just put on a few pieces, but you need to put on the entire armor of God. It is all required. Why do we need to put this on? He says that you may be able to stand, and that word stand indicates face-to-face, that you may be able to stand face-to-face against the schemes, which means strategies or trickery or ambush of darkness, the schemes of the devil. When we put on the armor of God, we are able to stand face-to-face against any opposition that comes our way. That yes, Satan has schemes, he has strategies to try to trip you up, to try to throw things in your mind that that are opposed to God, to try to bring situations and pressures in your life to get you off track, to get you out of faith, to get you doing things that God doesn't want you to do. But we not only, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that we have the ability to know what Satan is doing and outwit him or not be outwitted by him. But we have the power and the ability to stand face-to-face against those temptations, those struggles, those attacks, those enemies. There's nothing soft about that. Because if you've ever been through any real challenge, you know it takes a level of strength to stand in the middle of that and stand against that. The implication here is not just that we stand, but that we stand and that we win. And the scripture, especially in the New Testament, this reiterates this over and over and over and over and over, that no weapon formed against you will prosper, that greater is the God who lives in you than he that is in the world, that there is nothing that will come against you and prevail, that you already have the victory. You are the head and not the tail. You are more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You don't just overcome. You don't just win. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than victorious. You are more than a winner. You are more than a champion. But not in your own strength. In his strength. And we have the ability to do this when we put on, not some, but all of this armor. In verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, number one, rulers, number two, against the authorities, number three, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, number four, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So so we get confused and we start thinking, 
our battles, our struggles are against other people. They're flesh and blood. Like, if I would just stop thinking this way, if I would stop eating that, if I would start saving money, if I would, could be nicer, if they would stop getting on my nerves, if they would stop attacking me, if they would stop looking so good or talking so good or stroking my ego or... I'm going to take a time out right there. <laughs> Minister Femi, when everybody's with you, and they're, yeah, yeah, I mean, and they may not be saying it, but you can see it on their face, and then you hit a spot that hits them, they go, that's what just happened. Just trying to help you out. Man. But these, these struggles, these battles that we have, we look at them and we think they're against flesh and blood. We think if this person, and, and we pray this way too. You, you know those kind of prayers. God, get them out of my department. Transfer them. Move, you know, it depends on how petty you are. Fire them, Lord. They don't serve you. You know, you, then you get real spiritual after you, 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 you know, you've stuck a knife in their back. But, but these... These struggles, these temptations, these battles, these wars, they're not against flesh and blood. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Every day that you wake up is a day that you wake up in a war and in a battle. You may not wake up in a natural physical battle or a natural physical war, but every morning that you wake up, you wake up into a spiritual battle. Every single morning. Without fail. And, and the problem with the spiritual battles is the things that we can't see are controlling the things that we can see. But often, we're controlled by the things that we can see, not the things that we can't see. See, see I, don't, I don't know much about cars, but I do know when I put my foot on the gas pedal, that the car goes, as long as I got it in drive, right? I, I don't see how that happens. I don't go up under my hood, ever. <laughs> I'm not positive in my car, there's actually an engine in there. I don't know that I've ever seen it. <laughs> but I'm sure there is, even though I've never seen it, because when I put my foot on the pedal, the car goes, either forward or backward, whichever way. I don't, I don't understand how I type a text message to somebody and it gets from my phone to their phone. I have no idea how that works. I have zero idea how that works. I don't, I don't understand that. But I do understand that something that I am not seeing is producing something that I am seeing. Something that I'm not experiencing is producing something that I am experiencing. And, and when we wake up every morning, we need to realize that this is a spiritual battle and things that we are not seeing is, are producing the things that we are seeing. 
See, we try to look at what we are seeing and try to fix it. And we try to do all the natural things. And, and I'm not saying that that's always bad. God gave us wisdom to use wisdom. But we rely solely on our wisdom to the point that we neglect the true root of the issues. We, we lose sight of the fact that this is a spiritual battle. And so, yes, you can avoid that person. You can be nicer to that person. You can give them gifts. You can, if they're your spouse, you can go through the five love languages. You can do all this stuff. And that may produce some results. But the true victory is one in the spiritual, not in the natural. Because our battles are not against flesh and blood. They're spiritual. And, and when you, you, you look at these four these four categories that, that we are told that we do wrestle with, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over the present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a couple things that we need to realize about this. Number one, these are all evil powers, and the evil powers, the Bible tells us, are of the kingdom of darkness, okay? But we don't have time to go to all the scriptures, but the scripture is also very clear that God's kingdom is the kingdom of light, and that any time light goes into the same space as darkness, there is no more darkness. In other words, every time light shows up, darkness has to go. Anytime there is light, darkness is defeated. And it's the same way in the spiritual. Anytime the kingdom of God shows up, the kingdom of darkness is defeated. It is destroyed. It has to leave. So, yes, we're fighting these spiritual forces, but the spiritual forces are defeated by the kingdom that we're fighting in and the kingdom we're fighting for. Not only that, but we're told we're kings and priests. If you're a follower of Christ, you're, you're a king and you're a priest. And there's no level of authority that these four reach that reach the level of king. So not only are we on the right side of the kingdom, but we're on the right side of authority and power. So if you're a follower of Christ, you're on the right team, and you have more authority, you have more power than every attack and everything that is behind the spiritual battles that you face every single day. Hence, you already have the victory. But, but there's a part that we have to play in this. A part of this is being strong not in our own might, but being strong in his might. But then when we keep reading, it says, therefore... And, and, you know, whenever you see therefore in the scripture, you need to look and see what it's there for. And you need to look back and see what was written right before that. And so when we look at this in context, what it's saying is because you're in a spiritual battle and because you're facing these evil forces, therefore, or now, let me tell you what to do. Take up the whole armor of God. And again, not some of the armor, but all of the armor. And, and let me say this. It's the armor of God. It's not just any armor. Y'all know I'm a big sports fan. And, and so I, I played basketball. I used to have this recurring nightmare, and it happened almost before every game. And the nightmare was I would show up to the game, and I would either not have my jersey or not have my shoes. I have no idea if you're, like, super spiritual and you have, like, some discerning dream. If you're Joseph in here, like, just uh, it's probably too late because that was a long time ago now. But, man, I could have really used your help um, back when I was playing, because I mean, I would wait, and I'm talking about, you, 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 I, I can't tell you, it was like the most scary, fearful thing I could think of was not having my jersey at time, I mean, I, I know, I know, spoiled, suburban, I got it, you, I understand, 
But man, I was terrified. I'd wake up in like a sweat. Like, man, I, didn't, I couldn't play because I didn't have my jersey or I didn't have my shoes. Like, what? And I'd wake up like, no, I'm going to make sure I have my jersey and my shoes. But you know, if I'd have showed up to play in a basketball game with cleats on, or, or if I'd have showed up to play in a football game with a tank top on, like, like if I would have come to, to, to play in a golf tournament with, trying to use a baseball bat, like, like that, doesn't, that doesn't work. And so sometimes what we do is we're looking at the natural, what we can't see, and we put on things for the natural, such as nicer clothes, better car, bigger house. What is it? What is it? Let me get this right. Mac makeup? Is that? Is that actually it? Did I get that right? Man, my wife loves that stuff. I'm like, she looks amazing with it, without it, with the other stuff. I don't even know what the other stuff is. But she, and I'm not, okay, so I'm not saying that my wife put, okay, let me back out of that. <laughs> back out of that. But we put on these natural things as armor, Right? Like, we're going to work out to get strong, to look good, to be buff, to whatever. That's armor. We're going to be funny because we need some armor to protect us from what we're really dealing with. We're going to get super aggressive and loud as armor. We're going to get really quiet and reserved as armor. We're going to talk differently, more intelligently. We're going to go to school longer. Really not because God told us to, just because we need some armor to protect ourselves. But what we're doing is we're showing up to football games wearing a tank top. And if you show up to a a tackle football game wearing a tank top, you're in trouble. Not only are you about to get beat, but you're about to get hurt. And so many Christians are looking at what they can see and they're putting on the wrong armor. And they're 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 not clothing themselves to be able to fight this battle. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that... Here's why you need to do this, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The ability to withstand, the ability to overcome is up to you. It's not up to God. That that, that lies in your court. You take up the whole armor of God so that you will have the ability to withstand in the evil day. And when you have that and you've taken that up and you have that ability... It says, having done all, putting it all on, stand. Stand firm. Stand strong. In verse 14, it says, stand therefore. He repeats this again. See, the only time that you actually lose as a Christian is when you give up. Some of you all have been here for a while. You remember Pastor Carrick, who used to be here. He now pastors our Atlanta church. His dad, I I was at a kid's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese um, several years ago. And um, it's kind of the first time I'd really met his dad, and, and, and his dad is, is very uh, outgoing. He has no problem talking trash and being competitive. Um, and, and, you know, he's one of those guys that if he wins, he, like, talks so much trash that you literally want to fight. <laughs> like, it started off fun and cool, and, like, we go back and forth, and then you get quiet, and then they keep going, and then your fist balls up. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about? And so we were at this kid's, um, we were at this kid's uh, birthday party, and so there's this, there's this basketball. You know the basketball, the, just the, like the quick shot, the little goal, the little balls. And so he challenges me, and I'm like, listen, man, I played Division I college basketball because I could shoot it. 
Like, no, you are not going to outshoot me. You might be better or something, but you are not going to outshoot me. Like, I, I am. So he's talking junk, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm so confident. I'm not even really talking junk because I'm like, dude, I'm about to destroy you. You are older. You did not play any basketball, clearly. And you are going down, and I'm about to turn all these words right back on you. Pray for, it's a long time ago. Put your rocks down. So we play the first game, and the first game, I mean, I missed like four shots. I got like 80-something points. I'm like, feel, I'm like feeling good. And I turn over, and I'm about to let him have it. And I look at his score, and he had 110. I was like, what? So I did what any Christian man would do. We're going again. Put two more quarters in there, we're going again. And the next time, I don't think I missed a shot. I mean, I think I got like 90-something points. And I'm like, okay, he, he, and I look over, he had like 120. Have y'all seen that commercial with that lady? I don't even know what it's for, where she's talking, but she's shooting that basketball. And it's just, it's just everyone, and she's just, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Like, that's how this guy was. I bet you we played that for 45 minutes. And in 45 minutes, I did not win one game. It kept, it, the margin kept getting wider and wider and wider. And I kept getting, I was so mad. I mean, I was so mad. And after about 45 minutes, my arm was tired. It started to hurt. I was frustrated. I was angry. I wanted to fight. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And I quit. I was like, I'm not playing anymore. And he's like, come on, one more. And nope, I'm done. And every time I've seen him since then, for years, I'll be walking towards him, he'll be walking towards me, and he'll go. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if he ever comes here, I guarantee you he's going to sit right there and go like this. And it makes me so mad. But I'm not going to challenge him again. <laughs> But you know what happened? I quit. I got tired. My arms started hurting. I got frustrated. I got mad. So I quit. That's, that's what we do, right? That's what we do. We read our Bible. We pray. We try to be a good person. And then we get tired. And then something starts to hurt. It doesn't go right. And then we get angry or frustrated. And we quit. Now, now let me tell you this. I was in better shape than him. If I would have just kept going, I don't care if it would have taken me three hours, and I would have won the last one game, one game. If I would have won one game, I don't care if it would have been 10 to 9 because we were so exhausted or shooting left-handed. If I would have won one game, you know what I would have done? I would have stopped and never played him again, and I would not have cared about the other two hours and 59 minutes of him beating me, and I would have said, but what would you do last? I won the last one. <laughs> you, last time we played, I won. You're talking about the past. I mean, I'd have had all kind of stuff. But I never got there because I quit. Because I got tired. Because I started hurting. Because I got frustrated. And, and, and there's times where we feel like we've done all and we're tired and we're frustrated and maybe we're hurting a little bit. And we've been standing and we decide to sit. But there's never a time to sit. Yes, there's a time to rest, there's a time for God to rejuvenate you, but, but we should always be fighting these spiritual battles and standing and continuing on. Because once we get that 
breakthrough, once we get that victory, then all the other stuff doesn't matter. It no longer matters. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Over the next several weeks, we're going to get through each one of these um, pieces of the armor. And now that I'm done with my introduction, (laughs) today I want to talk about the belt of truth. And, And before I talk about the belt of truth, you know, I've heard this preached so many times, and I've read so many studies and so many commentaries, and inevitably at this point in these scriptures, um, people much smarter than me begin to talk about how this correlates to the Roman soldier and the pieces that the Roman soldier would wear. And if you've heard this, you've probably heard some correlation here. And there is a lot of correlation because at this point, especially the people in Ephesus, they would have been familiar with the Roman soldier. They would have been able to connect with how these pieces um, connected with the Roman soldier. And this would have been something very familiar to them. But as I was studying this, I I found that in Isaiah chapter 59, um, that Isaiah talks about some of these pieces of armor in the same exact way. And when I went back and read that, what I found was that these pieces, God actually put on himself to be able to fight his enemies in the Old Testament. And man, this blew me away. Because at first I'm saying, okay, well, God, you put them on and now you want us to put them on. Awesome. What does that mean? And then I kept going into this and praying and and looking through this. And, and man, this is so deep and this is so good. I mean, think about this. God recognizes some enemies. And if you actually go back, the enemies were us who turn and disobey. That's a whole other theological conversation. But God has these enemies. And he's going to go to battle with these enemies. And so what does God do? God puts on pieces of this armor to go into battle against his enemies. And now, if we zoom out of this, yes, the people in Ephesus, they would have been familiar with the Roman soldier, but they also would have been familiar with the Old Testament. Once they gave their lives to Christ, they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. They would go, they would read, they would study. They knew about Isaiah chapter 59, and they knew that God put this armor on. And now when Paul's telling them to put this armor on, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying that at one time, God put this armor on to fight his enemies, us. But now, because of what Jesus has done, God gives us his armor to put on to fight our enemies for us, not against us. And you start to think, God, when he goes to battle, he wants this on? And now he gives us the ability to put it on? Man, if it's good enough for God, (laughs) it should be good enough for us. And if we know that it's God's armor, then we know that it's victorious. We know that, that it's powerful. We know that it will produce. We know that we win. So in verse verse 14, when he tells us to fasten on the belt of truth, he's talking about the first piece of the armor, and this is not by coincidence, the order here, because the belt would have not been the most recognizable piece, but it was the first piece that the soldier would have put on. It was the piece that was in the middle. It was the piece that held everything else in place. And so without the belt, if the belt was faulty, the armor was faulty. You couldn't put on the other pieces correctly without first putting on that belt. 
And the way that I like to put this on in, in, in when I put it on daily is I, I like to pray that everything above and everything below that belt would be full of truth. That this, this belt, what's in the center of me, who I am, what, what, what directs and what is my foundation is truth. Because without truth, then all the rest of this falls apart. But if we're honest, most of us can relate to Pilate when, when Jesus was on his journey to the cross. If you remember, uh, Jesus is brought to Pilate and they're having this conversation and, and Pilate's like, well, what is truth? And we don't really have much else after that as far as the rest of that conversation. And I think many of us struggle with that same question. Well, what is truth? And yes, you, you may not ask that question in this setting, but deep down somewhere there's that question of what is actually truth? You know, if you're an intellectual, if you, if you like to reason things out, then maybe you struggle with this more than some others. But, but I know for sure there's been seasons where, where I've, I've asked this question and went like, okay, what, what is this? Because even if you look at history, like, um, <laughs> how did I get here? Land the plane, pastor. Um, um, is, you know, words that we say today would have been cuss words 30, 40, 50 years ago. The words that are cuss words today, 30, 40, 50 years ago, were not cuss words or derogatory. I mean, not all of them, but some of them. So, so you start to look at things like that and say, like, well, what is truth? I mean, a Christian surely shouldn't cuss, right? But is that according to today or when my grandparents were growing up or when my kids will be growing up? What is this, what is truth? And I think if we're intellectually honest, this is not always as black and white and as clear as many of us think that it is. Now, clearly, God has laid out black and white issues that this is truth and this is false. I mean, there, there's a lot of that. We don't have time to get into that. But there are a lot of other areas that, that it feels like that shifts and that changes. The Bible speaks to this, that a man that has two opinions or is double-minded, is unstable in all his ways, and shouldn't expect anything from God. So this is an important issue, to know what truth is and to be, to be holding fast and firm to that truth. So let's take a little scriptural journey to answer this question. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. That he is full of truth. But if we go a couple uh, verses before that, or after that, um, in verse 17, we're told that truth comes through Jesus. So not only is Jesus full of truth, but truth comes through him. So if we need truth, we need to go to the one who is full of truth, where truth comes from and where truth goes through. But in chapter 14 of, of John, in verse 16, or verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So not only is he full of truth, and not only does it come from him, but Jesus is truth. The truth is not some abstract thought, but it is actually a person in the person of Jesus. We also know that the word became flesh, which was Jesus. Jesus became the word. So the word is truth because Jesus is truth. You all follow me? And that's great. That's awesome. I don't know that that answers 
my questions on what's a cuss word and what's not a cuss word or what will be a cuss word. I don't know if that answers some of my other questions about some of the truths that I deal with or struggle with. And that's why in John chapter 16, verse 13, we're told that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. So it's great that Jesus is truth and that he's full of truth and that it comes from him. But how do I live in that? How do I get that? How do I put on this belt of truth and live in that truth? Because Jesus isn't walking physically next to me every moment of every day. And he's not here in the flesh for me to be able to say, hey, Jesus, should I date this girl? Should I buy this house? Should I go there? Which way should I go to work? How should I Christian cuss out my coworker? No, no, you don't, you shouldn't. It's not, it's not the way that works. But Holy Spirit is with each of us on the inside of us, and we're told that he guides us into all truth. And the good news about this is he has all truth to guide us into all truth. So, so the Holy Spirit on the inside of you has every answer, every, every guidance, Every way that you will ever need on the inside of you, and you have access to it. Not only do you have access to it, but God expects you to tap into that to know what to do, what not to do, where to go, where not to go. That's why we're not to lean into our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all our ways and allow him to direct our path through the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. That's why in Jeremiah it says that it's not in us to know the way. God didn't build that in us. That's why in the Garden of Eden, they weren't supposed to eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Because God's plan was always for us to rely on him, for him to lead us and guide us. And it's that Holy Spirit that guides us into truth. The Bible says a lot of other stuff in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that we can rightly handle the word of truth. So we can take this word and we can correctly read it and interpret it. We do have the ability through the Holy Spirit guiding us into the truth to be able to do that. But if we can do that, that also means we can take this, we can read it, and we can wrongly interpret it. And then we can take off that belt of truth. Because we try to, listen, if you try to make this say what you want it to say, you may be able to do that. (laughs) Almost regardless of what it is that you want it to say apart from Jesus as Lord. But if you'll honestly look at this and learn how to study this and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth, then you can rightly handle this and then you can fasten that belt of truth onto the center of who you are and make it your foundation and make it what leads you and guides you. And you can have all the benefits of being able to put on that piece of the armor of God. There's a couple other things that this says because not only do we, should we put this on, but we need to keep this belt on. There's ways that we can actually take this belt off. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, it tells us that we can choose to exchange the truth about God for a lie. That we have the choice to be able to see the truth, recognize the truth, and exchange it or trade it for a lie. It's not smart. None of us in this setting would say, yeah, sign me up for that. But we do it. You know when we do it? We do it when things aren't going our way, when things get difficult, when they get tough, when your arm gets tired and you've gotten beat 42 times in a row, and years later you're still not over it. You know what else we do it? Whenever, whenever God's truth is something that we think we don't want to do, and then we try to justify it and we exchange God's truth for a lie. 
In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, unrighteousness suppresses the truth and brings the wrath of God. Another way that we can take off this belt of truth is by simply being unrighteous. It suppresses the truth. And what is righteous? Righteous is just being right with God, just doing what God tells you to do. You continually choose to do something opposite of what God wants you to do. Then you're, you're living in, I'm not talking about a mistake. I'm not talking about a mistake. I'm talking about consistently choosing to live your life apart from what God wants you to do. It suppresses the truth. Essentially, it takes that belt off. And once that belt comes off, nothing else can operate the way that it should. But in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, we're told that if we live in God's word, it allows us to know the truth. And the truth that we know will set us free. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, obeying truth can purify your soul. So just like unrighteousness and disobedience can take that belt off, actually doing what God tells us to do and living in that can strengthen that belt. So we talk about putting on these pieces. So many times I've just heard, you know, you just wake up in the morning and you say this prayer and you put these pieces on by saying them, you know, and put on the belt of truth. And, and you say it by faith, and you pray it, and that's a part of it, and we should do that. But that's not the end-all, be-all. Because you can say you put on the belt of truth, and you can leave that very moment, and everything above and below that belt have nothing to do with truth. You can leave that moment and go and live your life unrighteously. And just because you said those words or prayed that prayer does not mean that you have that belt as the center of everything that you are. It's not your foundation. It's only your foundation when you begin to live in God's word and obey God's word. And when you do, then you, are, uh, you, you see the truth, the truth of Jesus, the truth of what he needs you to know in those moments. And that truth that you see and that you know, it sets you free. So this is not just saying a prayer and saying the words and putting this on. But the goal is really to get to 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 which tells us that we shouldn't love in word or talk only, but in deed and in truth. That, that yes, we need to wake up and we need to put on by faith through words and prayer these pieces of the armor, recognizing that God gave us his armor that he was going to use to fight his enemies. Now he's given it to us, so there is no chinks in this armor. There's no kinks in this armor. There, there, there is no holes in this armor. It is able to do everything that it needs to do. But we need to say that and pray that and believe that. But then we need to live our lives through our actions and our words in truth. And then in verse 19 of 1 John chapter 3, it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. When we begin living with the belt of truth on us, not just speaking it in the morning." Then we reassure ourselves. We know that we are in the truth. So let me actually land this plane. When, when putting on this belt, recognize that it's in the middle. It's the foundation. It holds everything else together. Without it, everything else falls apart. And this belt is the belt specifically of truth. This is truth in our lives. Truth is in the middle. Truth is our foundation of, of what we do and what we believe and what, where we go and what we say. It holds everything together above it and below it. So you put on this truth by faith. 
by speaking it, by praying it, but most importantly, by living it in love. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.